You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 24. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am Monica Louie, and I am bringing you another great interview. Today, I've got John Schmoll on the show. John is the founder and CEO of frugalrules.com, which is a personal finance site whose goal is to help its readers throw off the shackles of debt and pursue financial freedom. John is also a longtime client of mine. He and I have actually worked together for two years now, and I am proud to call him a friend. I am so excited and glad to share this interview with you. In this episode, you are going to learn what John focuses on to grow the site's traffic and revenue year over year, why John says blogging success is really just a numbers game, how to determine who you should hire when growing your team. John is going to break down a super simple SEO strategy for those just starting out that includes free and paid tools. He's going to break down each step for you. Plus, how to have success with sponsored posts. John shares how to weed out the scammy ones and create a winning campaign for your site, your sponsor, and your readers. Plus, we cover a whole lot more in this episode. But before we dive in, I want to make sure that you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 24. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 24. All right, let's dive into the interview with John Schmoll from frugalrules.com. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm excited to talk with you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Monica. All right. So tell everybody who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is John Schmall. I run the personal finance site Frugal Rules. Uh, The site will be seven years old next month. Uh, So that's what I do for my job. I run the personal finance website as a part of uh, an overall business with my wife. Well, congratulations. Seven years. Thank you. Yeah, that's huge. It um, is. So was it always your goal to become a blogger? I So John and I, <laughs> we know each other because we, we work together for quite a long time now. We started with Facebook ads coaching and now my team manages the ads and so I know I know the answer to this, but please tell everybody how you even got into this. Sure. So long story. No, my ambition was not to become a blogger. My background is in finance. Actually, I spent 15 years in finance, started out in life insurance and then got into a brokerage firm. Uh, my final job was as a stockbroker uh, right around the time that everything hit the fan uh, with the stock market. So I got to speak with investors on a daily basis, going through their struggles and problems with their investments and their money. So I left my job about just over seven years ago because my wife is a copywriter by trade. And when we had our second child, she left her job and started freelance writing on the side from home just to try and make up for some lost income. 
Well, over the course of about a year or so, she started gaining new client, more clients. And it got to the point to where we were going to have to hire someone or start turning away people. And we did not want to do either one of those. And I had always wanted to work for myself. So through a course of about six to 12 months, we really took a hard look at our finances, built up our savings, and finally cut the cord on my day job and quit. And the day I quit was the day after we had our third child. Uh, so I was scared to death. I had plenty of friends telling me that I was stupid, didn't make any sense, but it, it felt right. And uh, over the course of a few months after leaving my job, I knew a friend that ran a website and she did well with it. And I thought, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. And I launched Frugal Rules really just as a way to still be able to talk to people about money. And that was be seven years ago to uh, next month. And it just took a life of its own from there. Wow. So you ended up building up savings and quitting your job before you even started Frugal Rules um, yes. because Nicole's copywriting business was doing so well. Right. Exactly. And really, the, our ultimate goal was for us to help her with the writing and really turn her writing into a uh, online ad agency because her background was uh, working in the advertising and communications department for a company here in Omaha. And I got my MBA. And so between the two, we had the skill set and the knowledge to be able to do that. Just it was just growing the business from there. So then what happened with frugal rules? So you started it as a way to continue the conversation around money. Did you know that it was going to be what it is today? Was that the original goal or was it like a side project? Originally it was a side project with the hopes that I would make money from it. And, uh, really that's what we needed, but I didn't know when I started the site, I didn't know the different ways that you could make money through blogging thought. And I thought it would just be a small side income to help supplement what we needed until we grew our ad agency. And, uh, within six weeks of me launching the site, uh, Google did their last page rank update. And I got, it was a four or five. I can't remember. I think it was a four. And, uh, I started getting these emails from companies wanting sponsored posts. And I thought, Hey, you know, I just launched this six weeks ago and making money off of it. And so that was really the first eye opening uh, experience for me that I could really make money with the site. So did you already know how to monetize a blog from your friend's experience or were you learning this as you went? I learned it as I, as I went and I had no idea originally it was those spammy sponsored posts that I mentioned. And that was the only way I knew when, you know, I knew ultimately that wasn't a sustainable way to make income off the sites. Uh, but I, I had no idea what I was doing ultimately. So how does the site make money today? Like what are the revenue streams that the site uses today? Revenue streams, uh, three main ones. Affiliate marketing is our largest income driver. Uh, and then uh, display ads and then sponsored content working with companies that uh, legit sponsored opportunities where we're working with companies to promote a service or product of theirs that fits with the 
needs or interests of our reader base. Very cool. And how much traffic does the site get nowadays? We get now just over half a million page views a month. Wow. Very cool. So then starting off, how did you drive traffic to the site? Or was that an intentional goal to grow the traffic? Yeah. And as I started early on, I started to see that, you know, in order to make money, I needed to get traffic to the site. And really the starting out, like a lot of bloggers do, I started commenting on other sites in hopes that that would drive traffic over, use social media. I knew very little about SEO. I I knew that that's what helps drive search traffic to your site, but I didn't know really how to grow that or how to really utilize that um, initially to bring traffic to the site. Okay. So then when did things start to really grow and you saw that this could be a viable business and more than just a side project? It was about a year, about 12 to 15 months into launching the site. I was seeing months where I was making maybe a couple thousand most from the site. And I thought, you know, this is good money for me. Um, It was supplementing what we had lost from me leaving my day job and had gotten to the point to where it was at the level of what we were earning when we were both in the corporate world. And so what was the growth like from the beginning to 12 to 15 months in? What were the things that really contributed to that growth? I mean, was it that traffic was increasing, but then you were also learning more about how to make money with the blog? What really led to that growth and consistent income? Really, it was my first affiliate sale, and I really did not focus on affiliate marketing for at least the first year or year and a half of the site. And initially with sponsored posts, that took work. But I remember logging into Commission Junction one day and seeing that I had made my first sale. And I just thought that was crazy because I was out running errands or something with my family and thought, hey, I'm making, I just made money not even working. And of course it takes work to to create that. But that was really the light bulb that went on in, in my mind to see the possibility from there. And it was really about the two year mark that I really saw the the need to move towards that and start working on that. Okay. So then that proved to you that affiliate marketing was a good way to create passive income. Is that fair to say? Effectively, yeah. That, and of course, like I had mentioned, it, it does take work and I would really label it as more semi-passive income because it does take work to create the content and then hopefully, you know, you utilize SEO and social media and such to drive traffic to your site. But yeah, I would really classify it as, as semi-passive income. So then what did you do to shift your focus to affiliate marketing and growing that revenue stream? Really, it was looking at what the needs of the reader base are and focusing on that. I first started, you know, with my background working for a brokerage firm. All my experience was working with different brokerages and having the experience that I had, I knew the ins and outs of everyday investor. And so I started looking for online brokerages that offered affiliate programs and just started going after that. And then also uh, getting emails from readers 
either dealing with that or if they had questions on something or if it was a product or service that I used, looking for opportunities that way to promote them. So that you could help your readers and answer their questions and answer their needs, but then also have this opportunity to earn an affiliate commission on the back end. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very Correct. cool. So then did that change your content strategy? How much were you actually posting when you started the blog and then at this point two years in? When I first started the site, I suffered from what a lot of bloggers think that you have to post like every day. I was putting up content four or five days a week when I easily the first year, year and a half. And looking back, a lot of it wasn't good content. It was having improved as a writer. I look back at content that I was putting up five or six years ago. It makes my eyes want to to bleed, (laughs) but was posting five days a week, most weeks. And it was about three or four years ago that we moved to uh, three days max per week for posting content and then utilizing largely, you know, that affiliate model, using that to try and strategize what content we're putting up. Okay. So then you got more strategic with the types of content that you were creating. Yes. And so then were you focused on driving traffic at this point? I'm trying to understand the evolution of how, you know, your brand new blog grew to what it is today. Traffic yeah. wise, it's over 500,000, you know, monthly visitors. Yeah. So really it's finding that those keywords and the needs of the readers and utilizing it with the content, finding low competition keywords that are going to bring in more traffic. And it's, it's really, I think it was a change in mindset for me in viewing it as a business And not just as a, you know, I'm doing this on the side or I'm doing this to make money, but really viewing it as a business. I think that was really that was that key mind shift for me and really focusing more on on bringing more traffic to the site. How did that mindset shift of focusing on this as a business rather than a side gig or a side project really affect what you were working on and how you prioritize what you were working on? Okay, so yeah, the the at growing a team, bringing on a project manager. First, they were really a virtual assistant, but now she's really a project manager that helps manage the site with me, bringing on other writers that have different skill sets, and really focusing on what content is going to bring traffic to the site and what is going to meet the needs of our reader. And sort of marrying those two together to find the right kind of content that's going to bring readers to the site. Because ultimately, it's just a numbers game. And once you find what that is, you just hammer on that as much as you can. Can you explain that a little bit more? So is that regarding SEO or is that regarding the number of posts or where do the numbers come in? Uh, It's really SEO or that's focusing on and what I was saying about it being a numbers game, SEO is really where it, where my focus started to shift to if, you know, if I write, if we put up a post on the site about a product and it starts to bring in good traffic, okay, what other things can we write about, about that or about similar things related to it and utilize that to create new original content to bring in additional traffic. 
because, you know, as you use Google, you could search for any number of things. And what you might search for for something is going to be different than what I'm going to search for for something. And But both of those can still bring in traffic to the site. I see. Okay. So it sounds kind of like the 80-20 role of figuring out where 20% of your traffic is coming from and then focusing on that. Is that right? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it and just finding what that high level is and then start driving more at that. Right. Okay. So has SEO always been your main traffic driver? For the most part, yeah. Um, Especially these last three to five years, SEO has always been the biggest driver. And then after that, social media has been a fairly big driver, but almost always with the exception of that first year or so, SEO has been the the biggest driver. So with social media, does that also include Pinterest or do you have a Pinterest strategy? It seems like for the big blogs that I've worked with, including yours, it seems like most of their traffic comes from SEO. They've got their SEO game locked down. And then also they've got a good Pinterest strategy. And then they're also using Facebook ads to drive traffic as well and social media. So is that the same here as well? I don't focus a whole lot on Pinterest, um, and that's largely because I'm really ignorant about Pinterest. We do some ads on there, as you know, but beyond that, we don't get a a ton of traffic from Pinterest organically. It tends to be Facebook and then maybe Twitter. Pinterest has always sort of been in the background, but outside of a post or two, but with the ads, it's it's grown more in, in traffic size. So we are doing Facebook ads and promoted pins to specific blog posts for John to drive traffic and increase that affiliate revenue. But you mentioned Twitter and you, do you have an organic Twitter strategy? I haven't heard a lot about a lot of blogs getting a lot of or significant traffic from Twitter. So do you have a strategy that goes along with that to actually drive traffic? Not real. I mean, not a real good, honest to goodness strategy. In my first couple of years of the site, I got more traffic than I do now. And it's difficult to stand out in the Twitter crowd, especially since it's so quick. And really, it's just been sharing posts from our site and sharing relevant ones from other sites that gets traffic. So really, it's just leaning on any organic traffic that we might get from the site or from Twitter. Cool. Okay. So in shifting to look at your business as a business rather than a side gig. You mentioned growing your team and so beginning to bring on new team members to help take the workload off of you, but then also utilize their skills and talents in order to help grow the site. Yes. So your first hire was a VA who's now the project manager? Yes, that was, I had hired a writer or two to help take on some content But yeah, the first real true hire that I viewed as someone with me was the virtual assistant. Very cool. And then what did that person start off doing? So if if somebody's just getting to the point where they are thinking about getting help with their blog, you know, what would you recommend they start off with? And what did that person do for you? Or is, is that what you would recommend they start off with, a VA? Great question. So what I had them starting to do was responding to sponsored posts that were coming in, handling so posting the social media, 
just very simple stuff. And my issue was really a trust thing. And I know that is with a lot of us, especially entrepreneurs. So we, we like to think that we can do everything. But now what I have our project manager do is she loads all the content to the site. She manages my email. She manages basically any project that we have with the site, whether it be sponsored campaigns that we're doing with different companies or reaching out to companies to set up an affiliate arrangement, scheduling meetings for me. So pretty much anything she handles. And honestly, I couldn't run the, the site without her. And it's really just leaning on her to, to help get everything done. That's awesome. So would you recommend that as somebody's starting to you know, see traction with their blog, that they start off with hiring a VA or should they start off with hiring some additional writers if that's the route they want to take? I think it really depends on your skill sets and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And anyone can write, but not everyone can manage a project well. And that's something that my manager really exceeds in is that she anticipates the needs that of the site or needs that I have and runs with them. And she works with me to accomplish whatever we need. So generally speaking, if you're really wanting to grow your site, I would say likely look at a virtual assistant to help out because it can take so much off your plate so you can focus on other things. And that's really, you know, my goal is to take things off my plate so I can focus on the higher end needs of the site to help grow it more. And what are those things that you are focusing on your time with nowadays? So what I'm focusing my time on is SEO, uh, doing SEO research, dealing with readers, answering their questions. If they're not questions, so our project manager, if they're basic questions, especially in specific areas, she'll handle them. But if they're more advanced, I'll deal with them. So that SEO uh, writing content is still something that I do, especially ones that I, topics I enjoy writing on or really want to rank and then growing affiliates revenue and looking for other opportunities through that. So who else do you have on your team? You have other writers as well. So you have your project manager and then you have writers. Do you have anybody else on your team? Yeah. So project manager, two writers, and then also have an editor. Oh, an editor. So yeah, but, when did you bring on the editor? I brought her on and actually hiring a new editor because she's leaving us, unfortunately. But I hired, we brought her on about a year, 15 months ago. And up to that point, my wife, Nicole, had been editing all the content on the site. And one, that was, I didn't want to spend the money. But two, I had the assumption that, well, she's a writer. She's been a writer for 15 years. She can edit. And yeah, she can edit and she can edit better than, you know, a lot of other people, but editing is a skill set and it wasn't a strong suit of hers. And so it was, you know, causing strife in our home because you know, we disagree about edits and stuff. So we decided that, you know, we're at a place that we can take that expense. And so I hired an editor, someone that that's what their background is in and take that off my wife's plate and, it's really helped, I believe, improve the content on the site. 
and helped me as a writer. So with the site being Frugal Rules and obviously very focused on saving money and frugality, was that a shift that you had to overcome in order to spend money on growing the business and also, you know, including hiring people to help grow the business? Was that a shift that you had to make for yourself? It was to a certain extent. And that's a great question because I think as entrepreneurs, again, we like to think that we can do everything on our own and it's hard for us to see what spending X amount of dollars will create for us. And for our team, yes, that's helped improve the content on the site, but it's also freed up time for me and my wife. So instead of spending that time trying to muddle through editing content on our own, we can now offload that to someone else who's that, that's their skill set. And instead of spending that time going through the editing ourselves, we can spend it on other things that are more profitable for the site. So what would you say to somebody who's kind of in that place of trying to decide if they're ready to hire help or more help or making that decision on if they can just make better use of the help they currently have? What would you say to somebody in that situation? To not be afraid of taking on that expense. And again, especially when you're doing something like blogging or anything online where your income can fluctuate greatly um, or it's something that you're doing on the side, but you're wanting to grow, that expense can be well worth it. And to be strategic about what that first hire or two is going to be, because it can have a great impact. And, you know, as the saying goes, you have to spend money to make money. And while that's true, I believe you also have to be wise about how you're spending that. And coming from finance, I always like to see what am I going to get in return for that spending. And it's not really anything to do with, you know, the saving money aspect, but it's really to do with, okay, what freedom is that going to give me? What is that going to create for me? Can I use that time to work on the site? Can I use that time to, or on your business? Can I use that time to spend more time with my family or, you know, something like that? What is that going to free up for you? I love it. Because, I mean, it is good to think about, you know, when you're investing in growing a team, you want to see that return on investment in the bottom line, but you also want to think about, you know, the other benefits as well. And I know from my own, you know, growing my own team that it's helpful to know that I don't have to juggle all the things myself. I can rely on team members to help support me in moving a project forward and taking things off my plate in order to you know, free up my brain space so that I'm using my brain space for those most important things that only I can do or that I do best in my business. Right, exactly. And I, like many entrepreneurs, think that you can do everything on your own. And that's just simply not the case. It's not. And I like to think that it is, but it's, and a lot of us do, but that's just not the case. And, and you're, you are going to grow your team the best by looking to outsource and bringing on people that allow you to focus on what you do well at. So with growing your team, what tools do you use for project management, for communication? How do you keep everything going and keep everybody on the same page? 
So we use a couple of different tools. We use Asana as, as our main tool to manage projects. Uh, we use uh, Google Docs for content. And then uh, our project manager and I uh, deal with managing the email. Uh, but it's largely Asana or, or Google Docs. We use Asana and Google Docs all day long in our business as well. <laughs> we absolutely love them. So with sponsored posts, can you give us some tips on how to craft a great deal when somebody reaches out to you and they want to take advantage of your audience, you know, in a sponsored opportunity for the site, how do you vet those? Because you mentioned the scammy ones came out at first. And so how do you know who's scammy, who's not scammy? And then how do you craft a good deal? So it's a win-win for everybody, for the sponsored partner, for you as a business owner, but then also your readers who are ingesting the content. Sure. That's a great question. So the spammy type of sponsor posts, if you've been running a website for more than a week, you're likely receiving emails. There are typically ones that they're asking about buying a link or they're coming from India or London are big, but anyway, that they will come out and say, we want to buy a link. And that violates all sorts of Google terms and is spammy. So those are the ones you want to avoid for the ones that are legit. They will, it'll be someone from the company itself that reaches out to you. For example, we ran a campaign about a month ago for a bank and it was someone from the bank that was launching a new, relatively new service. And they were wanting to promote that on our site. And it was, it was a perfect fit with our reader base. And uh, so what we would do is when it comes in, the first thing I do is I just go online and I do some research on the company, see if they're legit, see if it's something that's going to meet the needs of our readers or something that our readers might be struggling with or benefit from, see if there's a lot of complaints against the company, which you sort of have to be careful with because not everyone's happy with a service, but just using a discerning eye with that to see if it's a legit company and a legit offering. Assuming, oh, and, and also if I see bloggers that I know that have run campaigns for the company, I'll typically reach out to them and say, hey, what was your experience with them? Has it worked out? And assuming all of that's good to go, what we will do is we we'll come up with a campaign for them. What we do is we offer a couple of different levels of service for them. Uh, the initial is just a blog post. And then the next level is blog posts plus uh, social media sharing. And then finally it's those two plus inclusion in our newsletter and our weekly newsletter and charging different amounts at each of those. So the blog post obviously is just the cheapest. And this was really a mind shift that I had probably two or so years ago because we have thousands of followers on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. Why should I be throwing that in for free? And, you know, can I get more money and not trying to be a mercenary, but can I get more money out of that? And it's really a benefit to those companies. And oftentimes they love that. So offering those different levels 
to the companies. And sometimes they'll just want a simple blog post and nothing else. And other times they'll want everything and just offering those different levels of opportunity for them and allowing them to pick. Awesome. So you do your due diligence in researching the company and also, you know, researching online, but then also reaching out to your network uh, yeah. to see if anybody you know has worked with them and their experience with them to make sure that it it was a good experience. And then you just make the offer of these are the different packages that we offer. Yes. Very cool. And I like what you said about recognizing the value that posting on social media, you know, and your relationship with your readers and your with your audience has. And so I think that that's something that everybody should be paying attention to is that you should be thinking about the value and the different tiers that you can offer in your packages if you are doing sponsored campaigns. Exactly. And, you know, you'll get pushback. Sometimes companies will say, well, can't you just do this? Well, I could just do it, but what I'm earning is putting food on the table for my family. And I run a commercial site just like they run a commercial business. How would you, and I don't say this to them typically, but you know, how would you feel if I asked you, well, Hey, will you advertise for my site for free? No, you wouldn't. So it's a two way street there. Right. And then also something I know that we've done a few times in working together is when it's the right affiliate and the right opportunity that will also drive ads to those sponsored posts. Right. And Correct. sometimes the sponsor themselves will cover the ad spend. And, yes. Or pay for a higher amount, a higher level package to include the ads be part of that. Yes. So any advice there for including the ad piece in the package? That's not something that we've actively pursued. And it's something that I take on a case-by-case basis. If they don't want social media at all, then it's not something that I'm going to offer. And some I'll offer and they'll be interested. And like you said, others have they weren't interested in others that, that were interested. So where does the site go from here? What is What are the next steps? What are the next goals? What's the next path for Frugal Rules? That's a great question. Continuing to grow the site is the main goal. I'm hoping to likely bring on either one or two more team members in the near future. We need to start video for the site to drive traffic because, you know, people consume content differently. And so starting uh, using video to try and drive traffic to the site as well. Those are really the two main things. Just really continuing to grow traffic, continue to go after SEO. As of right now, that's still the ticket that's bringing in, in traffic and continuing to find those needs of the reader and formulating our content around that. So with your readers, you mentioned that you are the one answering a lot of reader emails. And your project manager helps with that. Is that correct? Yes, correct. But then you also help to respond to specific questions. And so do you have a strategy for kind of gathering those questions or the various topics and collecting that so that you have all these ideas for future content pieces? Or is it just, I'm just wondering, because that's what we're trying to develop right now with, we're getting a lot of emails from readers and listeners in about you know their Facebook ad questions. And I want to be able to create a systematic way to kind of gather 
those questions, you know, what are the common questions that come up so that we can make sure that we are addressing those. And, you know, so that in the future, as they come up, we can say, here, did you check out this podcast episode where I talked about that? Or, you know, and things along those lines. So is that, do you have a system in place for that? I do and I don't. So when I start seeing more than one or two questions that are coming in about the same general topic, I just have a doc that I start writing those down. And then what I do is I do SEO research, and I should have mentioned this earlier, really our content, and this was something that shift that we had a couple of years ago, our content is going to focus around three or four main silos, and that's saving money, obviously, with it being a frugality site. So saving money, making money, growing money, and paying off debt would be the fourth one probably. But I, as I start seeing numerous questions about the same general topic, I'll put that in a doc. And then as I'm doing SEO research, I'll start looking at keywords based around that topic. And then uh, once I find something that gets enough traffic and is is the right level of competitiveness, we start going after content around that. So what kind of tools are you using to do the SEO research? Uh, The two main tools I use are uh, SEM Rush and Longtail Pro. And then uh, so that and then another one that I just learned about a year or so ago is Answer the Public. So that and then honestly, Google Autofill is a great tool. So those are really the four main tools that I use for SEO. Can you break those down? What does SEM Rush do? Because I'm trying to understand what does each tool do and how do they work into this strategy? Sure. So SEM Rush, it is so expansive and I'm I just dip my toes into it or I feel like I'm not utilizing it uh, completely. But you can put in your uh, URL and you can see all your keywords where you're ranking and it changes or they update it from day to day. You can use it to find, say, keywords where you're ranking maybe and you can set a a search tool to see where you're ranking like 11 through 20 in the SERPs. And so on the second page of Google, and if it's something that you think that you can improve your post a little bit to try and bump it up to that first page, that's a tool that I use. It's good for competitor analysis and then keyword research as well. Okay. And then how does Longtail Pro differ? Longtail Pro, that is strictly uh, keyword research. And that's, I've been using that tool longer. And that's really uh, strictly keyword research. It'll give you the volume of a particular keyword, how competitive it is, and then some other metrics if you're doing like Google AdWords and stuff like that. And then... Both of those are paid. Is that correct? SEM Rush and Longtail Pro? Correct. Yes. Okay. And then Answer the Public is just a free site. Yeah, that's a free site and that's a great resource for SEO research. So how do you use that one? How you use that one is it literally just has a search bar on the homepage and you type in any type of phrase or question and it, depending on the phrase that you're using, you can get hundreds of responses, if not thousands of responses back. So for example, you could just type in ways to make money and it will shoot out. It'll provide you all of this information, ways to make money with prepositions, comparisons. And then really the gold mine is they have an alphabetical list of A through Z will be ways to make money 
and then all the possibilities with each letter. And so you type in a phrase and you find all these possibilities. And many times it's like finding a needle in a haystack, but I've had many times where that needle is pretty darn good. So like ways to make money, side hustling, ways to make money with Uber, ways to make money with credit cards, ways to make money babysitting or like other things will come up so they kind of go down the same path, but it gives you more content ideas. Exactly. Cool. Okay. And so that's free. And then you mentioned Google autofill, which is just where you searching in Google and then you see what it's trying to auto populate for you. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. In the drop down. And then the other thing within that is, uh, Related searches, I think, is what they call it, and it's usually at the bottom of the first page. And I believe it's like ten to twelve different variances or alternate search terms that people are using for the same basic topic. Cool. So, if somebody were a beginner like me with SEO, how do you recommend they get started in finding a few profitable or potentially profitable topics that could drive a lot of traffic? From Google? Yeah, so I get this question a lot, and really it's not that difficult. I would use Google Autofill or even Answer the Public, but if you just want to use Google, that's a great tool to use and just start thinking of things that, you know, come to your mind, things that your readers ask you, things you're seeing online, and just start looking for that. And then utilize a tool like even like SEMrush um, and Ahrefs, they offer free trials and and you can use those to find something as well. Okay. So then once you have the topic, then what's kind of the next step from there? The next step is really formulating around that. Like say if it's a review about a product dealing with, you know, how the product works, uh, what are their pros and cons really trying to nail down as much as you can the entirety of that and just sort of I come up with the topic give it a skeleton of the pros cons how it works what it costs ways that you could save money on it and then just formulate the content around that skeleton cool so then you're making sure that you're hitting every point because nowadays my understanding is that well at least when I first started blogging it was you didn't need to write very long content. I think it was what you were referencing is like, you need to have a lot of content. So 500 to 750 word posts, but just showing up and being consistent was really the name of the game when I was starting, you know, several years ago. And now my understanding is that in order to really rank, you need to show Google that you have created this, you know, pillar piece of content on this topic in order to rank. And so that means more word count, but then also, as you were saying, you know, addressing all of the different angles and the questions that people are going to have about that topic. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And today, when I first started the site, most posts were between five and 750 words. And today, our writers, when they create a post, it has to be at least 1,500 words. Very often, our content is going to be at least 2,000 words. If it's something that I really want to rank, want us to rank on, it'll often be over 3,000 words and really trying to be as objective as possible. We're putting up a review of a product on the site and all it's doing is giving it glowing reviews. If I see that 
as a reader online, I'm going to see right through that because no product is perfect. So you want to be able to inform readers of what you need to look out for, you know, why it might work for you, why it might not work for you, and just really try and give them as much as possible an informed decision. Yeah. And I think that helps to build trust as well. And so then that ties into the affiliate marketing strategy, because if you're doing a review on a product and they have an affiliate program, then you can drive traffic because you're ranking for the review via Google. And then you can make that affiliate commission if the reader decides that that is a good choice for them to take action on. Yes, correct. And I think readers also need to see that you're willing to promote something that you're not getting paid for. Like, for example, my wife and I invest solely through Vanguard. I love Vanguard. They make investing incredibly simple. But Vanguard doesn't have an affiliate program, and that's great. I still promote them because they're a good service, in my opinion. And that's just one example. But I believe readers need to be able need to see that, that you're willing to promote someone even though you're not getting a kickback for it. Yeah, and I think that's super smart, too, to build that trust. And then you also have the display ads, the ad networks on your site. And so can you share a little bit about that and your experience with display ads? Yeah, that's something that I just started on the site about, I want to say, two to two and a half years ago. Uh, I didn't do it in the beginning, really just out of ignorance and we added them on the site. Uh, we work through AdThrive, and uh, it's about as passive as you can get when it comes to blogging income. And I use what I earn off of AdThrive. I largely just reinvest that into the business through Facebook ads, paying vendors, and things like that. Cool. So have you had any negative you know, cons of using display ads? Because I know that's kind of a question, you know, once once traffic starts to build, should I have display ads or are they going to be a distraction on my site? Have you had any negative experiences with having those on the site? I've had one or two comments over the last two years, nothing crazy. And really, if you spend any amount of time online, display ads are everywhere. And as many users of the internet, they ignore them. And it's sort of like white noise. And uh, yeah, so I have not had a, a ton of negative feedback. And affiliate income is one argument is if you use display ads, that it's going to drive away from affiliate income. We've seen affiliate income continue to increase since having display ads. Maybe it could have increased more. I don't know. But I've seen it continue to increase. So it's not something that you know I've had a terrible concern about. Great. Okay. And then I'm curious about what your experience has been like in working with your wife and making that adjustment. So you both had corporate jobs and then she came home and then you came home. Was there an adjustment period to you both being in the house and, you know, working from home together? What was that transition over the years been like? Yeah, it really hasn't been that big of an adjustment, honestly. And we feel pretty blessed to be that way because we know not Every couple is that way. And we have friends that, you know, have said that there's no way they could work with their spouse. And really, we view it as that it's a team effort and not what she's doing isn't more important. What I'm doing isn't more important. We're working together as a team to help grow our business. And, you know, ultimately, as we grow our business, that helps benefit our family. And uh, 
we love working together. We largely, we are doing different things, but we love being able to work together and it, it gives us freedom to do what we want really. And you also homeschool your three kids. Yes. yes. Right? Have you always yes. homeschooled? Yes, we have. And so how do you juggle? Because we have in your house, you have two businesses and homeschooling, which seems like it would be just as big as a business. So how do you guys juggle that? Do you have a specific schedule that you follow just to make sure that, you know, everything is getting the attention that it needs? (laughs) I laugh because we like to have a schedule, but you being a parent yourself, you know, kids have their own minds and or life happens or something pops up and the schedule goes off the rails. I'll be honest, my wife does the overwhelming majority of the homeschooling and the work she's doing is more flexible than what I'm doing. And so she'll typically in the mornings focus on homeschooling and and our kids are at an age where largely, especially our oldest child and our middle child is getting to this point this year is that they can largely manage themselves and walk themselves through a lot of their stuff. And so in the mornings, they'll do school time. And then in the, usually after lunch, they'll be working on their homework. And then my wife will be doing her work then. That's what a typical day will look like. And then do you both call it quits with work at a specific time so that you can make sure then that you're transitioning to family time? The right answer is yes, um, <laughs> but no. My wife is a little better than I am about that. Only re- well, not only recently, about two years ago, year and a half, two years ago, I made it a commitment not to work on the weekends. Saturday morning, I'll just check my main affiliate networks just to see where things finished. But other than that, I don't touch my computer again till either Sunday night to plan out the week or Monday morning. And that has helped us a lot. But many nights, I'd say at least half the week, one of us is working in until at least eight or nine o'clock. Okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, and I know that you guys do. I say that's cool because you've been able to design your life to fit around your goals for your family and for your finances. And I know that you guys do a lot of traveling, visiting family, you know, all over the country. And really because you both have built these businesses, then you're able to provide that flexibility and freedom to your family. I think that's great. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, you know, it might mean that I work till nine o'clock half the week, but it also means that because of that, I can go on vacation, you know, next week, for example. So it, it gives us that flexibility. I just wanted to share a win also that you shared with me, if it's okay, that one of your affiliates, you're on track to make 50% more this year. Is that right? 50% more this year from that one affiliate than you did in your last year at your day job? Yes. Yes. That is awesome. So you've really yeah. created this freedom business. Yeah. It's pretty mind boggling to be honest. And, uh, yeah, it's, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And, uh, it really just takes work and effort. So kind of wrap things up here. What would you say to someone who is, they have big goals, they have big dreams of achieving, you know, building their own freedom business. 
but they're feeling like their business growth is stagnant or they're hitting roadblocks, what would you say to them? Keep pushing through and uh, don't give up. You know what? Sometimes not everything works. And if you're seeing that something's just not working, be open to looking at, you know, other opportunities, other possibilities within your business, but keep pushing through and uh, realize that not everything's going to work. Rome wasn't built in a day as the saying goes and keep pushing through. And if you're seeing some level of success, then I believe firmly that it's very likely that you can grow on that. It might not be in the way that you think right now, is the best way, but you can grow it. Great. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing about the growth of your business and your team. And I really appreciate it. So where can people find out more about you? So they can go to the site frugalrules.com. That's the site. And on all the social media platforms, that's what we're at, at, at Frugal Rules. Awesome. Wonderful. And we'll put the links in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me today, John. Sure. Thanks for having me, Monica. I want to thank John for sharing his wisdom with us. We covered so much in this interview. So now it's time for you to take action. What one thing are you going to take action on? Are you going to take John's advice in determining your next hire? Are you going to improve your SEO strategy? Or maybe are you going to rethink your packages for your sponsored posts? Let us know what you're going to take action on in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 24 or tag John and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and he is at frugal underscore rules. Thanks once again to John for coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us. And you'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 24. And thank you so much for joining John and me today. If you're ready to take action and learn how to create Facebook ads that convert, then I encourage you to check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. It will help you plan your next campaign or improve your existing campaign. Plus, it has a detailed checklist so you can be super organized going into the ads manager to set up your campaign with confidence. And you can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. And as I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that I mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 24. If you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great episode heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. I'll be breaking down the cheapest way to get started with Facebook ads and get massive results. So if you're ready to get started with Facebook ads and you want to see real results but not have to spend an arm and a leg to get them, join me next week on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. Take care and bye for now. 